This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Bloom. Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com fool. And that's Bloom with three O's. So, again, bloom401k.com fool. Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hi, bro. Well, hello, Allison. How are you doing? Just groovy. How are you? Awesome. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the tumultuous times for tech stocks and what does the possibility of increased privacy regulation mean for companies like Facebook and Google's and all those with the help of Matt Argersinger. Bro is also going to try to talk you into considering an unretirement, right? It's true. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Austin, when many workers think of retirement, visions of travel, adventure, and full-time leisure might dance in their heads. Yet, the reality of retirement can be quite different. And that's the takeaway from a recent New York Times article entitled, Many Americans Try Retirement, Then Change Their Minds. So, the article starts out with the tale of Sue Ellen King, who was a nurse who retired in 2015 at the age of 66. Her retirement lasted a whole Three months. Whoa. Yeah. From the article, quote, days spent organizing recipes and photos and lunching with friends proved less engaging than expected. I hope her friends didn't read that article, by the way. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> so when her hand-picked replacement needed a maternity leave, Miss King jumped at the chance to return for three months. Now back at work in a part-time position she designed all for herself, she calls herself a failed retiree. <laughs> End quote. So this phenomenon has become to be known as quote, unretirement. So, according to a 2010 study from Nicole Mastis of Harvard Medical School, more than a quarter of retirees eventually return to work. And then, from a 2017 study from the Rand Corporation, they found that almost 40% of workers over age 65 had actually at one point been retired, but then they returned to work. Um, so, why do they go back to work? So, for many, obviously, money is an issue, especially after the Great Recession and the stock market decline that we saw back from 2007 to 2009. But for many others, it actually finances were not a factor. So, according to Dr. Mastis, the reasons often have to do with a sense of purpose, opportunities to use your brain, and social engagement. And because we're living longer, generally in pretty good shape, and we're, our jobs are less physically task tasking than they were in previous generations, it's actually pretty reasonable for people to work to their 70s. Uh, the article also quoted Michelle Wallace, who had this to say about life after retirement: "Quote: I felt like I was free floating, bobbing along on the ocean." I felt very ungrounded." End quote. So now, at age 69, she works part-time for a small business that helps government researchers, and she says she never plans to try retirement again. So, the bottom line is people should seriously consider working past traditional retirement age for plenty of non-financial reasons. That said, working just a little longer can do wonders for your financial security, which brings us to our second item of the day, a study released in January entitled, the Power of Working Longer by Gilla Bronstein, Jason Scott, John Shovin, and Sita Slavov. The main takeaway here is that working just six months longer has the same impact on your standard of living in retirement as having saved an additional 1% of your earnings for the past 30 years. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It all comes down to just delaying Social Security, having a bigger nest egg because you have more years to contribute to it and you're letting it grow for a little longer and having a shorter retirement because you're delaying your retirement. So, put it all together before you retire, put some thought into whether you really that's really what you want to do. It might be that you want to consider other possibilities. Working just part-time instead of a full-time retirement or if you're so burnt out from your job, 
consider a new career that you'd enjoy doing well into your 70s. Thanks to Bloom for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Do you have a 401k? Probably, if you're listening to this show. Remember how frustrating it was deciding what to invest in without professional help? Well, now there's a better way to grow your 401k. Bloom, again, that's with three O's, is a simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401k. You can go online to bloom401k.com fool and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps. Then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. We hate those. We hate those. Bloom researches, invests, manages, and monitors, and grows your 401k while you relax. It lets you choose the right mix of funds to meet your retirement goals, and it monitors your accounts and adjusts as needed, making sure your funds stay balanced and keep you on track with your goals as you get older. It's simple. In fact, the hardest thing about this is remembering that there are three O's in Bloom. <laughs> Go to bloop401k.com slash fool and enter promo code fool for your first month free, and you can see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement. What have you done for me lately? I hear it all along the avenue. What have you done for me lately? That's how old friends show their gratitude. Spring has not been kind to the Fang stocks. Here's a fun stat courtesy of Aswath Damodaran. Collectively, the Fang stocks lost $282 billion in market capitalization between March 15 and April 2, just a couple weeks there, and, and contributed significantly to the drop in the equity market. So, to put that into perspective, the market capitalization lost in just these four companies was greater than the total value of all cryptocurrencies at the start of April 2018. So, what? Today, we're going to check in on some of our favorite tech stocks like Facebook, Google, and Amazon. Uh, since we know that many of our listeners own at least one of them, right? And we have Matt Argersinger to help us. Hi, Matt. Hey Thanks guys. for joining us. Yeah. You are an analyst here at The Motley Fool, and you work on what projects? Do you what? Well, I, I, I currently work on? work on Million Dollar Portfolio, mm -hmm. uh, Supernova. I do some stuff for our Germany services. So, yeah, well. kind of a bunch of different places. Wherever they want me to work, I kind of I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll <laughs> go there. If you have me, I'll, I'll I'll be there. Can you write a good article in German? Is your German that fluent? No, I still have to write in English and then get it translated. Got it. So okay. pretty lame. I'm still that. impressed. Still Thank impressed. You. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so we're gonna start with Facebook because I mean it, it starts the word, but then also they've probably had the biggest news. In they've the last been in the news. Weeks. They have. But can I before you before we go to Facebook? Can I yeah. just add a little more context to the whole thing? Please do. Thing? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I know they're down recently, but look at this. Over the last five years, and I'm I'm by the way, I'm using the five fang yeah. version, the F A A N G, which includes Apple. The five fang stocks are up 500 percent on average in the last five years. And if you just go back three years ago, when I think fang became a thing. They're up over 200%. So, okay, they've had a bad few weeks, <laughs> but this has been one heck of a place to invest. It really has. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Let's I know, look Facebook. at you and your pesky, but don't forget, we're long-term investors here at <laughs> the Molly Fool. Context, context. Uh, well, we are going to turn this into a more long-term conversation, because I, uh, I'm i pretty interested to start talking a bit about what Facebook is going through. So, of course, Mark Zuckerberg testified on Capitol Hill last week. After the company Cambridge Analytica harvested the data of up to 87 million Facebook users, so everyone on Capitol Hill wanted their five minutes oh, to yeah. ask him some questions. Sure. So, how do you think it went? Well, I think for 
Facebook and Zuckerberg in general, I think it went a lot better than they could have hoped. I think Zuckerberg was really well prepared. He came across well prepared, as robotic as ever, but yeah. he did a good job. I thought the, the best meme I saw, by the way, on online was him as Data. Yes, that was pretty <laughs> funny. There, which was pretty good. I thought man, that was pretty effective. Uh, yes, and, and to, to put all this together, I mean, this. If you go, you have to go back to 2014 when this kind of all started, which is this researcher guy named Alexander Kogan, 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 I'm not sure how to say it. He was a researcher at the Cambridge University in London, and he got permission from Facebook, like a lot of apps and a lot of people do, uh, to pull data from Facebook. And his, he, he happened to be doing it using a personality quiz that he kind of came up with. Um, so, and so I'm looking at my Facebook feed, and there's it says like, find out what's your, what kind of dog are you? And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll take that personality quiz, and then I click on it, and it takes me somewhere, and then I answer questions, right? Or something like that. And one of the things this I'm a pug, by the way, in case you're wondering. Oh, cool. That's my dog personality. Uh, good to know. <laughs> um, but and one of the things this app did, which a lot of the apps do, is they ask users to consent. For, for the app to get for their for the app to access their yep. data and yep. the data of their friends on Facebook, and you know if, so taking the app you probably clicked some permissions and said yeah sure why not do it, uh, so around three hundred thousand people or so took this quiz um, back in two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen, uh, which doesn't seem like a big number but the but when you connect all the friends yeah. of these three hundred thousand odd people, it kind of ballooned to this number that initially was 50 million, and now it's become 87 million, including Mark Zuckerberg's data. Maybe That's he took right. the quiz, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but they got his data as well. And so that was actually okay at the time. But what happened is uh, this Kogan fellow, in some way or another, and the details are still murky, he ended up selling or licensing this data to Cambridge Analytica, which is, has a a bit of a storied past itself. I mean, I'm not going to go into it because it's a little bit of you know, it's a political rabbit hole. It, yeah. uh, you can Google it if you want. Uh, but uh, they, they ended up acquiring this data from these 87 million uh, Facebook users and using it to target conservative political ads in the 2016 election. And so there, there, therefore, there is the the scandal, so to speak. So this Cambridge Analytical from working with Kogan, they misrepresented, misused the data Facebook, outside of the scope of what Facebook thought the data was going to be used for. Uh, but this has been going on for many, many years. Many apps, I would, I would let's say thousands of apps, have actually taken the same exact approach. And it wasn't until really this happened in 2015 when Facebook found out about it, that they really locked in kind of walled off the garden and said, well, you can't, you know, we're much more secure about the way apps uh, and, and programs use or scrape Facebook data. Uh, so this none of this came out until, of course, recently, which caused this big scandal. Now people are thinking, "Oh my God, my, my user data and profile has been used in, in nefarious ways. It, it caused this big hubbub, and that's how we ended up at Congress." So I feel like I'm one of the few people who is like kind of shrugging at this. I mean, is that I don't know, is that fair? Because I know I know how Facebook makes money. Facebook makes money by delivering me ads that they think I'm gonna like based on my profile and everything, every, all the information that I give it, and then it delivers back. Well, you might be interested in buying this, um, and so knowing that, I don't know. I'm not super outraged, but maybe I need to be. Do I need to be more outraged? Well, I, I think Allison, right there, you demonstrated that you knew more. You know more than the average <laughs> senator or congressman. That's Mark Zuckerberg's question. No, I, I think you're right to shrug it off a little bit because I, I happen to think that, and maybe I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I, I, had, I happen to think that most people who use Facebook realize that by using Facebook, by getting into the network, putting things and having events and setting up relationships with people, you realize that. 
you're giving up some of your security, some of your you know your your behavior to Facebook, which makes money, like you said, via ads. Uh, and so I feel like most people get that, and maybe you know the hubbub around this is just a little too. You know, it's over-dramatized. Yeah. To that. Um, but on Capitol Hill, Mark Zuckerberg and other uh, Silicon Valley people whose opinions matter on this are saying that, yeah, there probably should be increased regulation on privacy, online privacy, and what companies can retain for us. And at the same time, coming on up this month, uh, GDPR, pri- right? It's the next month that GDPR privacy standards are going to go into effect in Europe. Right. And companies who do business with Europeans, basically, um, you have the right to be forgotten in Europe. So you have the right to say, no, don't keep any data on me. And you never ever get to keep any data on me. And um, in the US, it's not like that. Like, we can't say, no, you can't remember me. Right. You can delete cookies or you can do whatever. But ultimately, um, so companies like Facebook, they, their, their customers are not me. I know that fa- I'm not Facebook's customer, I am Facebook's product. And the customer is actually their advertiser. So I'm not a Facebook investor, but if I were, how concerned do I need to be that the company that depends on making money off of my data is suddenly going to have less data to sell, basically? Right. That, I mean, the privacy rules and the, the lack, the, the, Lack of trust or lower amount of trust that people have in Facebook. I mean, I think it is going to affect how many people use Facebook as well. I yeah, I that's. I think there will be an effect. I guess I just don't know how big it's going to be. I don't. I don't think most people are necessarily going to change their behavior that much on Facebook because with, with you got to remember with Facebook is the power of Facebook, the competitive advantage of Facebook is the network effect, the size of the network, right? If, if I don't really use Facebook very much, but if you've been using Facebook for years and you've got friends and relationships and, and things that you have, photos, uh, suddenly deleting all that or switching off and not using Facebook anymore, I don't know if that's an option. Do for you guys a lot know anyone that's quit Facebook because of this? I personally don't. Not personally. I've read about people doing it. But they I don't exist. Know. There are dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see, and I, I can honestly, with all this, I could see someone stepping away from Facebook for two weeks. But I guarantee you, I mean, it's just. They're gonna, something's going to pop up on their phone. They're going to get a message. And they're going to say, oh, "Okay, well, someone's just doing something. I'm going to check it out, see what's going on." Yeah. And they're yeah. right back in. I think the bigger issue. I think what Congress is actually more is more worried about is just the influence that Facebook's that Facebook has, and, and these other companies we're going to talk about have now. Given how big they are, given how many you know how many users are using it, and where the data is ending up, um, I just I'm not sure. Congress wants to get in the business of regulating Facebook to the extent where they can't make money on on user data. Um, where I where I where the where it gets murkier to me is something Zuckerberg actually said during the uh, during the hearings, which is he he seemed to evoke that Facebook actually owns or is responsible for the data, the content uh, on on its platform, which I thought was a really surprising admission, if it is an admission, uh, because I think one thing we worry about with Facebook is what is the line between free speech. And hate speech. What is the line yeah. between, uh, you know, news and opinion, facts and truth, right? Fake news <laughs> and lies. I mean, it's just all of this. And so, Facebook's never really had to deal with that tension until obviously the last year or two. And I think now, especially, that's going to be something they're going to be worried about. I feel like that's a risk factor for Facebook as an investor. I didn't really think a lot about until you know the recent election and what's come out since. That I think is where there's going to be some problems with how Facebook uses and maintains and secures and shares data now in the future. So, 
So there was an interesting exchange during the Zuckerberg testimony where Lindsey Graham asked, who is your biggest competitor? He's basically trying to raise the question of whether Facebook is a monopoly. And Zuckerberg had this long answer where he was going to start saying, well, we look at it in three different categories. Um, but immediately my brain, I was like, Google. Google's your biggest competitor. Like what? And I think Lindsey Graham was looking at it from the perspective of what other social network is there out there for people like me to use. But I was like, right. that... You know, I guess to some extent they have to worry about remaining competitive in that space, but um, Google also relies largely on advertising revenue. Absolutely. So let's move on and talk about them. How are you, how's Google doing these days? Well, Google has already sort of been in the crosshairs of regulation. I mean, they've they recently paid a huge fine to the EU, um, kind of unrelated to their business, or at least what in privacy concerns. But with Google, I think this, it's a great point to look at because um, Alphabet, Google, uh, in a way, they have many more touch points in our daily life than Facebook even has, and so I wouldn't say it's a competitor to Facebook because, you know, to me the competitor to Facebook is Instagram, which Facebook owns. They own. So, yeah. so if you think of it in terms of social networks, God, there really isn't a viable competitor to Facebook. I don't even think Twitter is more social media than social network. But what what they're competing on is your time, your time online, what you're doing with your with, with your phone, and I think they're a very viable competitor in terms of well, email. YouTube search, um, other things, AI that they're doing, um, you know, e-commerce, shopping online, searching and to, for, to buy things, payments. Uh, so there are a lot of touch points that Alphabet has to deal with. And you're right, their core intellectual property is just like Facebook's. It's your data. Mm -hmm. It's your search. It's what you're looking for. It's um, things you're searching, you're writing about in your emails. I mean, it, Alphabet has access to all that, and they use it to monetize uh, their business as well. So. You know, I, I think they're just as much in the crosshairs as Facebook is, and they already have kind of been. They've already sort of paid the piper in a lot of ways, and they probably will more in the future now that Facebook's kind of you know come under scrutiny. All right, let's move on and uh, stick with the headlines. So while everyone else is going after Facebook, Trump has had his sights set elsewhere. Rumor has it this was in the headlines. People close to him say that he is obsessed with Amazon and not in a good way. Uh, he tweeted that the company was ripping off the Postal Service and should pay millions more than they do, and Amazon stock fell 7% after that tweet. Were you surprised by that? I guess I was surprised, just because I think... The react, like one tweet yeah. sends it down 7%. It, it, I mean, it's amazing when you can have that kind of effect. I mean, he's the President of the United States, uh, you know, it, but it is still with such a large company that you can... And the tweet wasn't even accurate. Well, right. And so, I mean, to use Trump's own words against him, I would say a lot of it's just fake news. It's you know <laughs> the idea that Amazon doesn't pay sales tax, for example. They do pay sales tax, and all the things they sell, they actually pay more sales tax than they're supposed to. The law is still right now until the Supreme Court decides later this year. The law currently says that unless you have a physical presence in a state, you actually don't have to pay. Sales tax. It goes back to catalogs and things like that. And uh, Amazon doesn't exactly have a physical presence in every state, yet they pay sales tax on all their inventory in every state that they sell goods. And so they're actually doing more than they should do by the letter of the law. Where they where sales tax aren't being paid for the most part is on Amazon's third-party sellers. So if you're a third-party seller, which by and large are small businesses who come on to Amazon and they stay, you know, it might you might be buying shoes from a small retailer in Kentucky. Who isn't required right now to to charge you sales tax? Actually, I don't even know Kentucky has a sales tax. I should probably pick a different state. But <laughs> but either way, that's how it's working. So if if that's what Trump's going after, then he's making sort of an argument against small to mid-sized businesses in a way. He's not really making an argument against Amazon, which already is paying sales tax. And so that argument falls, you know, kind of uh, by the wayside. 
And then the whole postal service argument is the postal service has come out and said, no, 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 we have a great relationship with Amazon. In fact, we make a lot of money on Amazon. In right. fact, packages are our biggest growth engine of our business. Right. I mean, the way where the post office is losing money is on on first class mail, email. Yeah, right, right. He, he should Emails. get mad at email. Right. And, and, <laughs> and then, Slack. And then there's the old. And then just not to harp on it too much, but then there's the bluster about well, Amazon's caused Main Street to suffer. All these small businesses are closing. Well, no, Amazon, as we've talked about, is an enabler of small businesses. But even beyond that, that's that's at the feet of Walmart and Target and Costco for decades, who have right. who have taken away sort of that the mom and pop general store and things like that. And so, yeah, I uh, <laughs> you can tell I'm a little more passionate about this one. I just think the uh, the attacks of unfair and and you know I, I know politics isn't our bag of the fool, but I, I got a feeling that Jeff Bezos' ownership of the Washington Post has a small a role to play, to just a, a tiny something. role. We yeah. don't have to get into it. But well, he's I think Bezos has remained silent on the issue. I I I have not seen that he is. Responded, so I imagine he just wants this to blow over and just keep. Bezos is too busy making money to like. Yeah, or flying to Mars. I mean, he just, yeah, you're he's right. got too much going on. <laughs> uh, so, but bottom line, you're not too concerned about Trump's war with Amazon. No, no, because anything Trump does to limit or, or Amazon's business or you know change its relationship with the post office or even its DoD contracts with Amazon Web Services. He's got to understand that he's also he's going to be affecting a lot of other businesses, including Walmart, who has a big online presence, and how they do business. It's just I I, I feel like this is all personal to against Amazon and Jeff Bezos, and yes, I expect it to blow over. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the chances are that Amazon HQ two is coming is coming to DC? I think the DC area, so Maryland, yes. DC, Virginia, is definitely in the top two or three. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes too much sense. I hope they don't come here. Oh, you don't? I kind of hope they do. No. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, it's hard enough to buy exactly. a house and drive uh, down the highway. Well, you want to be competing with those people <laughs> trying to buy a house. Oh, Goodness. Gosh, Child care? Goodness gracious. One of, this, one of the spots that Alexandria pitched is Eisenhower. All right. Well, which hey. you can see from our office. I'm so upset about this, and they're, no one else. They're going to have a softball team. It's 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 on between us and the Molly Fool. <laughs> between them and the Molly Fool. <laughs> oh, there's so many more of them, but we are strong. We are a strong We're company. Strong. All right. Uh, obviously, I'm not going in order of uh, the acronym, but uh, now we're going to move on to Apple. Apple, I, from what I can tell, has just continued to chug along. I mean, I remember when I first came to the Fool, Apple was like all you could talk about. Every headline on Fool.com had Apple in it. Anything Apple did, everyone was talking about all the time, and it was just hyper, hyper scrutiny. But I feel like that's died down a bit in the last year. Am I wrong? No, no. I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I, I think Apple. By all accounts, from a business perspective, is doing much better than I ever thought they would do at this point. In other yeah. words, a few years ago, yeah, when Apple sort of hit its apex in terms of just mindshare and investing and, and hit that huge market cap, and you know, it was it was kind of like oh, how big can how much bigger can they get? And and eventually, with competing phones, how can they still be charging these high prices for these iPhones that they have been? And guess what? They have been able to do that, which has been remarkable. If you look at the average selling price for the iPhone. It hasn't really budged. In fact, it's actually gone a little bit higher in recent years. So they're still commanding a ton of pricing power. Uh, at the same time, the services side of the business is doing as better as it's, as it's ever done. Apple Music has become a, a major force against Spotify, and uh, you know people are, are engaging with Apple services. And by the way, Apple has just this incredible business where they they take twenty to thirty percent of the of the revenue from these apps, from the apps that people make that end up in the in iTunes, and it's just. That's an incredible business, and yeah. so and that's that that monopoly, so to speak, has never really yet to be challenged, uh, and so 
But by the way, just you know, it's hard to draw direct links with what we've talked about with Facebook and Google. But you got to remember that Apple controlling the phone also has a tremendous amount of data on you. What what mm-hmm. apps you use, you know, where how you use them, how you use your phone, what do you do online and offline? I mean, it's stuff that they were criticizing, you know, Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook about, but Apple has probably much much more data around that. Now, Tim Cook has been really upfront in saying, well, we do, you know, user privacy, data security is is paramount for us, to us, and we don't we don't engage in you know licensing or selling of user data. We would never do that. But at the same time, they they have extraordinary responsibilities with just the you know the hundreds of millions millions of people around the world who own iPhones and use yeah. them, and, and Apple knows all of that. Uh, yeah. So it's a responsibility that they've done, they've borne very well. Um, and yeah, the business, like you said, it's just it's chugging along. Yeah. Um, I think people thought that when Steve Jobs died, the innovation just kind of leveled off at Apple. It doesn't look like that when you look at the stock price, but it still feels right. Like it feels like it, we've ha- it's been a while since we've had a big step forward from Apple. Right. I mean, yeah, there hasn't been. I mean, the Apple Watch has sort of gotten better. Um, and they, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that let's let's call up Apple's ad team. Yeah. We got a new slogan for you. Yeah. It's gotten better. It's gotten better. <laughs> uh, you know, there's been there have been innovations. Uh, the, the like Apple Pay, I think, is is a major point of sale now, uh, which it, which is is very powerful for them. But you're right. I mean, in terms of the must-have, you know, you think at this point with things like augmented reality or TVs and things like that, there would have been some, some bigger breakthroughs. There really hasn't been. Um, and if anything, the risk has gotten a little bit bigger because they're actually more dependent on the iPhone today in terms of their sales and profits than they've ever been as a company. Which you could say is a great thing because iPhones, it's a great phone and it's so popular. And as we talked about, the pricing power, is, has, they've been able to maintain that. But you worry as an investor that, well, down the road, is the phone really? Does it become just a commodity? And and it doesn't matter if I have, you know, a, a Google is it a Pixel phone or is that right? Yeah, I mean, I an, an Android. Well, an Android-based device, device like or, some yeah. Samsung or you know, it, it's yeah. just it doesn't. It, it, is it going to matter so much? It's more about the software, and that's where Apple's emphasizing that. But still, that iPhone is so much. So influential on the business. Yeah. So yeah, it's it must a risk. be. It must be because it just feels like Apple just keeps kind of like having these. It's better than it was before products, and not really coming out with anything awesome. But yeah, you would know that by looking at the stock price because yeah. it's still just been going up and up. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Netflix. Meanwhile, over at Netflix, uh, from what I can tell, all they are doing is plowing massive amounts of money into content creation. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that the headline there for Netflix? You got it right. I mean, they've that's essentially been Netflix's business. For, for years now, really ever since they made the, 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 the transition to streaming away from the DVD by mail business. It's really been about how much cash can we generate and how much can we employ and you know, plow into new content or licensing more content for our library. And they, you can't argue with, against what Netflix has done. I mean, they've, uh, the amount of original content that Netflix has now is just extraordinary compared to what. I mean, I remember it feels like only a few years ago when House of Cards came out. And that was the first, I mean, they had some other original content, but that was yeah. like the first big show that Netflix plowed a lot of resources in, you know, Kevin Spacey, and it was, it was a big splash. But now, and I don't know how much you guys use Netflix, but it feels like there's a new show on Netflix yeah. like every week, yeah. and some of it, some of them are really good, and they've won they've won a lot of awards. And so, uh, as long as that's the case, then I look at Netflix with say roughly 130 million global subscribers, and you know, um, uh, you know, a massive content production engine now. Uh, you know, they just I I read now that Martin Scorsese is making a movie for them, and there's just a, and, and they've got a Lord of the Rings 
or no, that's Amazon. Sorry. See, it gets confusing. It does but, get confusing. Yeah. But there's just you know there's a lot of talent that's that's gravitating towards Netflix as the platform to make shows and movies. And as long as that's the case, I can only see that subscriber number growing bigger. Mm-hmm. Now, like I mentioned, Amazon. I mean, there's competition now. I mean, Amazon's a major force now in their own doing their own content. You know, Prime Video, uh, YouTube, YouTube Red. YouTube's investing a lot in original content now too. Disney's going to create its own Disney, streaming service. ESPN actually. Well, this will be last week. ESPN launched the ESPN app, which is now is out there now, and so it's it's got a you know original sports program that you couldn't find just on the networks. Uh, yeah, and as you mentioned, Disney. So, and Hulu is a big force now. Disney's going to be taking a majority stake in Hulu mm. through the, via the 21st Century Fox acquisition if that goes through. So, you kind of there's there's a lot of competition now. Um, but the, the nice thing about I think the video streaming business is I feel like it's not a winner take all business. I feel like Netflix is going to have going to carve out market share. Hulu's going to do that. Uh, Amazon is, and so. You know, and and the, the the trend towards video streaming is so strong uh, around the globe that I think Netflix is still a long-term winner in the space for sure. So one thing these all all these companies have in common, with the exception of Netflix, is that they are among the top ten stocks in the S and P 500. Netflix isn't that far behind. So as more money goes toward indexing, more money goes into these companies. And they get bigger. Do you see anything about the the interplay between these companies and indexing? Uh, you know, that's a good, no, that's a that is a good point. Because uh, even if you think you don't own your these stocks, chances oh, are, if you own a mutual oh, you fund, you own these stocks. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Any kind of generally market ETF, you're you're in these. Um, well, I think that what what I tend to think about worry about is not so much about what you know. The, the interplay between how much money is flowing to ETFs and so it's automatically getting sort of allocated to these companies is that in just in history, you know, even before we had ETFs, um, it's never been a great investment to to buy the biggest companies in any given era. So, and I'm going to get these wrong, but I mean, if you go back just to the '90s, like mid '90s, right? I think the biggest companies were General Motors, General Electric, Exxon Mobil, IBM. Those were not. You know, at the time, and Microsoft, I think, was up there too. Yeah. But if you had bought those all then, you have actually done very well as an investor. You probably underperformed. Uh, and so, going in today, if I look at you know uh, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, um, Apple, all the biggest companies, I don't know. I don't know how I feel if if I'm buying those. If I'm looking at today and saying, all right, I'm going to buy these and hold them for the next ten years, they, they actually might not be the best investments because generally it's going to be smaller companies, ones that that. Aren't as heralded that are going to be the ones to outperform, not necessarily the biggest companies in the, in the market. So, even though we love the fangs, we, we absolutely love the fangs. Yeah. Oh. Well, this decade, the past decade, has been one of the best decades to be an investor. And a lot of it is, it, is attributed to these stocks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just recently read an article. It's basically saying it's great that the past decade has been one of the best. The problem is, history says that following a great decade, is a not so great decade, right? And it often can be broken down to the best stocks of the previous decade are not the best stocks for the subsequent decade. Yeah, and I think that's that's it. So as money continues to flow, you know, at some point I feel like the um, the outper- the tremendous outperformance of these companies that we've seen. I mentioned it: five hundred percent the last five yeah, years, two hundred percent last three years. I, I I can't you can't possibly expect those type of returns right. going forward. I should probably close with a disclaimer. Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about today. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you heard here on the show. Matt, you want to stick around for a little game of naming things is hard? Uh, yeah, sure. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to call me darling, darling. 
Fangs is hard. I think we can all agree. So, uh, of the Fang stocks, it turns out, as far as I could tell, only Apple is still going by the name that it was originally called. So, uh, here's the story behind it. Steve Jobs decided on the name Apple because he was on a fruitarian diet, of course. And he had just come back from an apple farm, and he thought the name sounded fun, spirited, and not intimidating. Yeah. I agree. Like it's Apple's a it's a good name for a computer a company, name. right? Yeah. Uh, but only if it were that easy. Many of our listeners will remember that Apple also happened to be the name of the Beatles' holding company and record label, and they did not like this, so they sued them. You guys know this, right? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Right. So they ended up settling in 1981 for $80,000 on the agreement that Apple Computer would not enter into the music business, which we all know Apple said Apple kept to that, right? That never happened. <laughs> 30 years later. Yeah, 30 years later. And then um, Apple Records would never enter into the computer business. So many lawsuits and settlements were to follow. All right. So let's see if you can uh, match the original names of the Fang stocks to the current names we know and love. We're going to start with an easy one. Who wants to go first? Matt, you okay. go first. Okay, you have like, far greater chance of actually. You're lucky. Well, right. this is an incredibly easy one because the original name was the Facebook. Yes, of course. <laughs> really? Yeah. Originally, it was called the Facebook, but they dropped the the when they bought the domain Facebook.com. Got it. All right. Are you ready? Ready. This one's so perfect for you. Backrub. Like, am I supposed to name which company? Which are you fang ask, stock, are you asking for something? Which fang stuff? Yes. <laughs> which now? <laughs> Which Fang stock is was Backrub? Wow! Yeah, that's that's uh, a, that's a tough one. Netflix? No, Google. I mean Alphabet. So in 1996, Page and Brin nicknamed their company Backrub because the name comes from the system of checking backlinks in order to determine an importance or rank of a website. So in September of 2007, they were like, "Okay, maybe we need a better name. Let's brainstorm." They had a brainstorming session, and they wanted to come up with a word that could relate to indexing a large amount of data. So someone suggested Google, which is which is a number. I believe it is one with a hundred zeros after it. Yep. Uh, a Google is spelled G-O-O-G-O-L. But the person who was like, "Well, let me see if that domain is available," accidentally Googled, misspelled it, G-O-O-G-L-E, and they were like, "Oh well, that looks cool too." Well, there you go. So I got that story from a guy at Stanford who's like, I've seen the telling of how the name came, and it's been wrong, and so I'm going to set the record straight. (laughs) All right, you ready, Matt? I'm ready. Kadabra. Oh, I know it. Amazon. Yes! So if you read the Everything Story, you already know the story. Originally, the company was registered as Kadabra, as in Abracadabra. Unfortunately, a lawyer misheard it and said, Kadabra? So they were like, oh, wait, maybe that's not a good name. Uh, so he went back to the drawing board. Bezos and his wife came up with the name Relentless.com. People thought it sounded a little sinister, but Bezos liked it, Bezos liked it so much that he still bought the URL, and to this day, Relentless.com redirects to Amazon.com. What do you know? Did J.K. Rowling know that story? What? Because Avocadavra is obviously a Abracadabra. Mm-hmm. You know, Avocadavra is the spell that kills people. Yeah. So I know she had the same cadaver cadabra thing going on there. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I was know. hoping for a better reaction. I don't know. <laughs> you could tell there's a lot of Harry Potter fans in this room. Yeah, not so much. All right, you ready? <laughs> Kibble.com. Uh, well, I guess it's got to be Netflix. It is Netflix. <laughs> so the backstory here comes from a, a co-founder, Mark Randolph, on Fortune. He said that while he was busy putting together legal documents to set up the company, he needed a code name or at least a placeholder, and a mentor gave him two pieces of advice. First, 
Pick a name that's so bad you won't be tempted to use it when you run into difficulties finding your real domain name. And second, pick something meaningful. So it's a great way to start aligning everyone around what you think is important. So why kibble? Uh, it reminded him of a Madison Avenue saying: "No matter how good the advertising, it's not a success if the dogs don't eat the dog food." So the idea being that you have to have both product and promotion in order to have a successful company. Yeah. So there you go. Then how'd they switch to Netflix? Do we know that? I don't. I imagine no. it was just like a. It's the, it's internet, the internet and movies. Flix, but, film. but here's I, the, I mean, as as we all remember, Netflix started off. You you ordered DVDs through the mail. True, so, but you I mean, had to I guess order them through the internet. You did have to go on you the internet. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, that, it's crazy because it wasn't really that long ago. I mean, no. where you like you you got your DVD, you watched your three episodes of Lost, and then you couldn't wait to get the next DVD. Right. No, and you, you got home. And still, like, it, they still Woo. do it. I mean, you can't really yeah. sign up for it anymore. But if you if you've been a DVD by mail subscriber, you can still, you can still do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are good times. All right, that's the show. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Fun. This is fun. I enjoy having you on the show. Um, our email is answers at fool.com. Our April mailbag episode is coming up, and Jason Moser will be joining us. So if you have any investing-related questions or stock-related, uh, he's your man. We want to hear it. So again, email us at answers at fool.com. The show is edited avracadaverlingly <laughs> by J.K. Rowling fan Rick Engdahl. <laughs> For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.